Welcome once again to Crosspoint. We're glad that you're here. If you'll take your outlines out, we'll uh, get started with today's message. Not only are we glad you are here, but uh, we're glad that there are a number of people listening this morning or maybe this, uh, well, anytime on the internet. So if uh, you have to miss some time, don't forget to go to Crosspoint app and you can listen to the messages uh, each and every Sunday. Um, before we get started, I do want to um, ask a question. How is your shopping going this Christmas season? Can I see the hand of anyone that's all finished shopping? Can I see your I see your hand. There you go. Can I see the hand of anyone that's halfway done? Halfway? Okay. Can I see the hand of anyone that hasn't even started yet? Can I see that? Oh, man. We are going to pray for you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to need it. You know, I, I heard I heard a story about this guy that bought his wife a beautiful diamond ring for Christmas. And his friend said, well, I thought she wanted one of those big sporty four-wheel drive vehicles. And he said, well, she did, but where am I going to find a fake Jeep? <laughs> what does Christmas mean? Has Christmas boiled down to all the stress and the shopping and the value of the gift and all that kind of stuff and everything that goes with it? i got to say, for many Americans, unfortunately, I guess the answer to that is yes. But, you know, when you do that, when you focus on all the externals, you miss the greatest gift of all this season. His name is Jesus. That's the gift. And if you've never received that gift, today is your day to do that. So, today we're going to talk about a worship story. A worship story of the wise men. Now, a few weeks ago, we started this story. We started talking about the wise men. And I want to build on that today as we look at Christmas through their eyes. And as I tell you a little bit about the wise men, I'm going to have Kaysen show a few pictures of them. First of all, they were wealthy. They were probably politicians of some sort, uh, kingly and king-like with a little K, if you will. They were very, very powerful men. They were educated in the sciences and in finance and in astronomy. And they traveled a long way, probably by caravan, from the Far East to bring their gifts to Jesus and to worship Him. Our story begins in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to be reading here. Well, actually, we're going to get through about 12 verses from Matthew 2 this morning. Let's start with the first two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. In the Greek, that last little phrase is in the present participle continual action. It means they not only saw his star when they started out on the journey, but they are continuing to see the star. It's continuing to guide them. Well, where did they come from? Most scholars think from Babylon or Persia, which would be modern-day Iraq or Iran. So get that geographically in your head. We know they came a great distance because by the time they get to Jesus, he's no longer away in a manger, no crib for a bed. He is in a house. And he's no longer called a baby in swaddling clothing. He is called a child. The word for child means a toddler, probably about a, a two-year-old. 
many scholars think. And, and my question is, whenever I read this part of the Christmas story, is this. How did the birth of a Jewish king even get on the radar of these wise men, of these Persians? How would they even know to come and worship this king that was to be born? Well, many believe the genesis of this, the, 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 the historicity of this, goes all the way back to the days of Daniel. You remember who Daniel was, that prophet of God? He, he and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go, were taken into Babylonian captivity. And while there, they had many, many trials, one of which Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. You remember that? You ever dare to be a Daniel? Well, this Daniel stood up for God's principles. And God blessed him, and in time, he became in charge of all the wise men. You remember how that happened? He interpreted a king's dream. And the king saw this big, towering statue, and Daniel comes along and says, well, let me tell you what it is. I can't interpret it, but God can. And God says, the first king, or the, the gold, silver, had a breastplate of silver, head of gold, breastplate of silver, body of bronze, and legs, iron mixed with clay. Notice the descending order of value says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the first kingdom. These four metals represent four kingdoms. Babylonian kingdom. The silver represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The bronze would later be known as uh, the Grecian Empire. Remember Alexander the Great? And then the iron mixed with clay, feet of clay, would be the Roman Empire. And during the days... Of those kings, what kings? The Roman Empire, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords would be born. And we even get a little insight into the Scripture. If you go back to Numbers 24, 17, it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. See, this is a long way off before Jesus is born in a manger. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Notice we get three characteristics of the Christmas story. We got a star, right? We got Jacob. Who's Jacob? You can trace Jesus' lintage all the way back to Jacob. That's the heritage. And a scepter. Who holds a scepter in his hand? A king. Are you seeing this? Well, Daniel obviously would have known that scripture. He, he, he studied the scriptures. He was a Jew. And he was a prophet, and God helped him interpret dreams. And and Daniel, because of this, was placed over who? All the other wise men. See, David was a part of that group. He was trained in all the sciences, all the astronomy, all the the wisdom of the day. And so he would pass this on from generation, and it was passed on from generation to generation to generation. So what do we learn about worship? From the wise men. I think we learned four things. Number one, we we learned worship is demanding. If you have a star on top of your Christmas tree, let that remind you of the arduous journey that these wise men took to find Jesus. I mean, it probably took much longer than the 20-minute commute that many of us had this morning. This was not easy. It was demanding. Sometimes I fear that people think that since following Christ is so good, 
that it must be easy. I mean, it kind of looks easy. I mean, you're also nicely dressed. Uh, we're sitting here in relative comfort in a nice, comfortable church building with padded pews. It looks just kind of easy, doesn't it? Guys, it's really anything but easy. Worshiping and following Jesus has never been easy. If you want to be a worshiper, you have to say no to some things, right? Like many of you did this morning when you didn't feel like getting up when the alarm clock went off. Amen? But you said, no, I'm getting up. I'm going to go worship the King of Kings. I'm going to go worship the Lord of Lords. And I'm going to do that. If you're going to be a worshiper of Jesus, you must rearrange your schedule and make commitments that many people and many of your friends will not understand. And many of your friends will not commit to. Who knows all the things that the wise men had to put up with on this journey. But the hard thing is usually the best thing. Aren't you glad you got up and came this morning, those of you that maybe didn't feel quite like doing it, to hear this message on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So, when they got to Jerusalem, they went to the palace to find who? I think they were looking for Jesus at the palace. They're they're not familiar with Jerusalem, but they're familiar with palaces. And who lives at a palace? A king. And when they get there, they don't find King Jesus, but they find King Herod. Whenever you see the name King Herod, think really bad guy. I mean, in your head, just think, boo, boo, villain. This guy is one nut job, creepy person. And all those kings were kind of screwballs anyway, but this guy in particular, he was disturbed, the Bible says. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Heard what? The story. There's another king, a king of the Jew. I'm the only king of the Jews here. Rome has placed me. They were puppet kings, all right? See, the Romans were pretty smart whenever they would conquer an area they would choose somebody to be the representative and give them a title of kingship, but with a little K. Caesar, of course, was lord as far as they were concerned, the Roman Empire. But it gave the people a sense that, you know, maybe we're not totally, completely oppressed because we do have some form of government and we do have some sort of uh, free um, will of some kind. And yet it was just really mainly to control the people. And that little K fell on King Herod. And he thought he was somebody. And he hears about Jesus and he's disturbed. But I understand that part. But look at this next part. It says, um, and all of Jerusalem with him. And all Jerusalem with him. Why is Jerusalem upset? I can understand where the king feels threatened. But why is all of Jerusalem upset? Because they know what a nut job King Herod is. He is paranoid. He is power motivated. He is a sociopath. Did you know that King Herod killed one of his wives and three of her kids because he did not he wanted to make sure that they did not take over the throne? He had another wife and some kids that he liked better. That's the kind of a ruthless man that he was. And and the Roman he worked for the Romans, like we just mentioned. And in Rome, they kind of mocked Herod. They had a standing joke that went like this. It would be safer to be one of King Herod's pigs than one of his kids. That was the standing joke about Herod. And when Herod died, he died one 
horrible, horrible death. He, historians say he died of a kidney disease, which was very, very painful, and it led into some form of gangrene. And it was so awful, and he was in such pain, that he committed suicide with a knife. So you know you're in excruciating pain when you're going through that kind of a thing, that you take your own life with a knife. But before he takes his own life, he calls for 70 prominent men in the community to come to his palace. And he has them all executed. Do you know why? He knew when he died, he wa- no one would mourn for him. And so he wanted mourning to take place. And so they would all mourn. They'd be weeping. And they'd say, that would be, they think it's for me. And everyone would know better. But that's the kind of screwball thinking of King Herod. So you get the idea of what kind of man this was? When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ? Where he's to be born? And, and you know, the scribes and Pharisees, they, 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 they knew the book. They said, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. And this is a quote right out of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. If you want to hold your place here and go back to Micah verse two, 5 verse 2, you'd read this. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers or the nations or the tribes or the clans of Judah. For out of you, you who? Bethlehem of Judea, will come a ruler or a king who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Who is that verse talking about? That's Jesus. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly, calls them back, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And you know what the wise men probably thought in their minds, but they were too wise to say out loud, yeah, sure, right, that's your intention. They knew better. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. Note the contrast between the joy of the wise men and how upset King Herod is over the same king, the Christ child, Jesus. On coming to the house, note, it's a house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Point number one, Christmas through the eyes of the wise men If you want to learn anything about worship, the first thing you need to learn is worship is demanding. It won't always be an easy journey. So bring lots of hummus with you. Number two, worship is humble. Worship is humble. It's not often that you get rich, wise, influential men who are humble. And I've got three points on this, quickly. The Magi were men... And yet they stopped and they asked for directions. Think about that. They said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now I know our wives don't understand this part of our manly makeup. 
they don't understand that when you've been lost for a while, they're thinking what? Just pull into a gas station and ask somebody. What are we guys thinking? We don't want to ask some service station attendant for directions that admit that we're what? Lost. Why? P-R-I-D-E. Right? It's just a prideful thing. And I guess this goes back a long ways. Do you remember who Daniel Boone was, the, the great frontiersman? He was asked one time, Daniel, have you ever been lost before? And he says, no, I can't remember really being lost, but I was mighty bewildered for about three days in the wilderness once. Come on, Dan, just admit it. Fess up. You were lost for three days, right? We, we all get lost. But pride prevents us. But these dudes here, they, they, they're looking, they're asking for some help. They want to find the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Number two, the wise men were wealthy and yet they were spiritually sensitive. That is a sign of humility. Matthew 19.24 says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Who then can be saved, they ask. And I love the answer to this. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, it's not wrong to be rich. It's wrong to be prideful and have your faith and your trust in your riches rather than the one that provides it. See, I mean, there are rich people in the kingdom of God. I'd much rather be a rich Christian as opposed to a poor Christian. But the thing is, These guys were rich and yet humble at the same time. Is it possible to be rich and spiritually with it? Yes. In the New Testament, you read about a guy, a rich man named Lazarus. You know, uh, he, Jesus, hung out at his house, raised him from the dead. You got Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night, a wealthy, prominent man who became a believer. And then in whose grave was Jesus laid when he died? It was a borrowed grave. Who owned that grave? A rich man named Joseph of Arimathea. Number three, the wise men were mature adults, and yet they worship a little child. That's humility. Verse 11, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. These wise men had no problem bowing down, now watch this, before a child. They're worshiping a two-year-old, a little boy. He sees the parents, and they're not in a palace. They're in a humble home. The parents are basically peasants, and they're worshiping a little child. Contrast that with the paranoid Herod. He's so narcissistic that he had all the baby boys two years and younger put to death for fear that he would lose his throne. Can I see the hands of any parent in here? And I'm going to include grandparents, now that I'm a grandparent, that has a child or a grandchild that is two years or younger right now. I see your hand. Could you imagine losing that little grandchild or that child? Can you imagine the heartbreak and the pain of that first Christmas? caused by this paranoid nut job named King Herod. That's what's going on right now. In this time when these wise men come 
to worship. And it's all because of his pride. Herod's pride. I, I like what C.S. Lewis says about pride. It, it's, it's convicting. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. I'm going to kill all the baby boys two years and younger. What? What a nut job does that. That is insane. But that's what pride will eventually do. One reason we call them wise men is because they were humble enough to worship Jesus. And so worship, number one, is demanding. Worship, number two, must be humble. But number three, worship is expensive. It's expensive. We remember the gifts, don't we? We talked about the gifts already, gold, frankincense, and mercy. We won't go too deeply into this, but I do want to raise, raise the point again. In Matthew 2.11, it says they opened their treasure or their gifts and presented it with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. When they thought about worshiping God, they included gifts. That, 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 that was just a concept in their mind. When we, when we think about worship, you ask the average Christian today, what do you think of when you think of worship? What usually first comes into your head? Singing? Singing? A lot of people do, and that's worship. Singing is worship. But it also includes prayer, as Luis led us this morning. It also includes communion service, a message from the Word. Worship includes giving as well. As a matter of fact, you know, the first time the word worship is mentioned in Scripture, it's in the Old Testament. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac. And he tells the men, you stay here. I'm going to take my boy. We're going to go up on the hill. Many believe that's Mount Moriah, the same place where Jesus was crucified. And we are going to worship, and then we'll come back again. What was the gift going to be? Or what was the offering going to be when they were on the mountain? Isaac, his boy. What a precious gift. But somehow, in Abraham's mind, he saw that boy being raised and brought back. You stay here, we're going to go worship, and then we're going to come back. What faith was in this man of God. Worship and giving go together. It's not because God needs your money. It's because we need His blessing. Amen? And that's how that works. It's a law of reciprocity. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, 1 Chronicles 16.29. This is an interesting verse. It says, Ascribe to the Lord... The glory do His name. Bring an offering. Now, an offering is different from a tithe. Did you know that? The Bible talks about tithes and offerings. Often, uh, we get those two mixed up. A tithe is what belongs to God. It's automatic. And that's something we give to Him on a regular basis. Some of you give weekly. Some of you uh, give bi-weekly, depending on how you get paid. Some of you give on the Internet. If you notice... When the tithe and offering time goes along, and I'm, I hope to get to the day where we're not even passing the trays around because so many have given online, some are giving automatically through their bank accounts, and if you're passing the trays out and you come to you know me 
and you just stand there holding it and holding it and hold. You just move on. My wife handles the checkbook at our house. So she's the one doing that. I know what we give, but just a thought. An offering, though, is above and beyond. An offering is a free will kind of a deal. God, the offering, the the tithe is yours. I'm not going to mess with that. The tithe belongs to God. But this offering, God, is just because I love you. This offering is because I want to do something special this Christmas season, maybe, or for a family in need. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. It's demanding. Worship is humble. And worship is expensive. Number four, last point. Worship is focused on who? Jesus. Matthew 2.11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped. Where's the emphasis I put on this verse? Him. He's not here to worship Mary. They didn't come to see Mary. They didn't come to see Joseph. They didn't come to see what kind of house the king lived in. They came to worship him and him alone. Who have you come to worship today? I hope it's him. And that's what Christmas is all about. And to make Christmas about worshiping Jesus, let's recap these four points very, very quickly. Make an effort. Those wise men went through a lot. A lot of effort to worship Jesus. Number two, humble yourself this Christmas season. When I become a wise person, the motto of my life will be, it's not about me. It's about God. Can you imagine how great 2018 is going to be if we all took that attitude? It would be fantastic if we put that into practice. And then number three, bring a gift. Worshippers never come before the Lord empty-handed. And then finally, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Three quick verses in rapid succession, and then we'll end it. 1 John 5.20, Christ, God's Son, has come to help us understand and what? Find the true God. You can't find God without help from God. God will seek you, God will find you, and God will help you find Him. Number two, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Are you seeking Him like the wise men? If you seek, you will find, the Scripture says. And then finally, Luke 19, 10. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. Anybody lost today looking for Jesus? Here's some good news. While you were seeking Him, He's been seeking you. He's been seeking you to tell you, I love you very, very much. You matter to me. Your problems matter to me. Your pain matters to me. Your potential matters to me. He offers forgiveness of past sins. He offers peace of mind today. And He offers a future with Him Forever in eternity. What a concept. And you know who they're all wrapped up in? Christ. All wrapped up in Christ. 
And so let this be the year that you unwrap the gift. See, even a gift must be received. Salvation is free, but salvation is a gift that you have to receive. All those that believe and received, He gave the right to become children of God. Amen? Unwrap the gift this Christmas season. Let's pray about it right now. Would you bow with me, please? Father, in our audience this Christmas season, we may have some people here who, like the wise men, have come seeking the Savior. Now, if you don't know Him, would you get to know Him today? If you believe this Christmas message, and I do with all my heart, I'm I'm staking my life on it. Would you just say in your heart, and God will hear you, Dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Thank you for seeking me even when I wasn't seeking you. Please forgive me of all my sins. I accept your gift of forgiveness. I accept your gift of peace of mind. I accept your gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus. I believe this Christmas message. Thank you for your son dying for me and for your amazing grace. Now, if you believe this, if you prayed that, God heard you. He hears every prayer and He answers every prayer. You're now a believer. And you know the first thing that believers did in the New Testament? They got baptized immediately. They didn't wait. When they believed, they received. Father, if there be one here today who needs to let you into their heart, May they do so right now, even as we stand and sing. Amen.